Good morning. I'd like to talk today about the power of love. That love is not passive, it's not just sweet or neat. It's hard work, it's sacrifice, it's devotion, it's pouring everything out. John tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That love immediately resulted in giving. And later he says that this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That love requires a lot of us. Demands much from us. And it at least involves compassion, restoration, and reunion. In the stories I want to share with you, two of them are kind of related. But they come from a passage or were connected to a passage that I thought was meaningful to our talk today. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 6. It says, because of his great love for us, you can think of that as compassion, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Restoration. It is by grace that you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Reunion. But as Paul's trying to explain the great love of God, he can't do it without saying, well, it started with how he poured everything out in mercy and grace. And he didn't just say, you know what? Everything you did, it's fine. He wanted to restore us, to bring us back to life, to raise us from the dead. And he didn't just leave us there. He put us where we belong, with him, with Christ. And there are a couple of stories that are connected to this. And they're sort of related. They're both told to us by Luke. In his gospel, Luke tells the story of the lost son, often called the prodigal son. The one who had everything, wasted it all, and wasn't sure he could go back home, but went home anyway. And when he came back to his father, he was still a long way off. The father had compassion on him, ran to him, and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the word in the Greek for falling on his neck is the same word Luke uses later in the book of Acts. When he's telling this strange story about a kid who fell asleep when Paul preached well past midnight, he falls asleep, falls out a window, and dies. Paul runs down, falls on him, same word, and embraces him. Trouble not yourselves, his life is in him. These two stories say the same thing about what happens when someone realizes something terrible has happened and they want to do everything they can to make it right. They fall upon them. Everything they've got in them loses its composure in humility, in desperation, in active love and service. They fall upon the one that needs to be raised and brought back to life. We're generally familiar with the story. You remember how the lost son starts. He basically says, Dad, I wish you were dead because you've got stuff and I want it. Can I have it? And he takes it all, goes away, wastes it all, squanders his wealth in wild living. There's a famine in the country. He doesn't have anything. And no one gives him anything. It's a nice commentary on the way the world. There's no love out there for him. Nowhere but back home. That's when he comes to his senses. That's when he realizes he's got to go back to where he knows there's at least something there for him, even if it's just the role of a servant, not a son. Anymore, He feels like he's squandered that, that it's not possible 
anymore. He tells his dad, I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. That's what he's going to tell him. He's rehearsed it. He's got his words down. But again, while he's still a long way away, well before he can give his little speech to his dad, his dad tells him by running to him and falling upon him, I don't need your speech, son. I need you here with me. The son tries to say it again. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father says, no, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Ring, sandals, fattened calf. It's time for celebration. The son of mine was dead and is alive again. Lost, but now found. And they begin to celebrate. Again, it's a similar story, but a weirder one. That was a parable from Jesus. A story he told to try to illustrate how much God loves his people and wants them back home with him. This other one happened when Paul was preaching. It's the first day of the week. They all come together. Paul is speaking to the people. He's about to leave. You know, he went on lots of journeys. Hop on a boat, go somewhere else. He was about to leave the next day. So because he had to leave the next day and couldn't talk again that following day, he decides to just keep on talking until midnight. And you feel like Luke is probably messing with him a little bit here, recording all the details. There were many lamps in the upstairs room, maybe even saying, Eutychus, you know, you probably should have stayed awake. It was plenty bright up there. Lots of lamps. We were meeting, and seated at a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. And when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. He's dead. Paul, horrified, throws himself on the young man, puts his arms around him and tells the people, don't be alarmed, he's alive. And then Paul goes back upstairs, gets something to eat, and keeps talking until morning. And then he leaves. The people, though, take the young man home alive, and they're greatly comforted. Notice how these stories kind of end the same, too. There's the compassion. There's the restoration. And then there's the reunion. But they're a little bit different. The son, he falls away. Eutychus falls asleep and out the window. The first son, he's rebellious. He's wasteful. Eutychus, maybe a little foolish to sit in the window if you're sleepy. Maybe a little lazy. Should have stayed awake. So many lamps on. The son was selfishly indulgent. Just went out and wasted it all. Like a jerk. Eutychus, just a little dangerous, a little weak. The son was willful and sinful. Did it on purpose. Knew what he was doing, even though he didn't really know what he was doing. But Eutychus, it was natural. Of course, it's after midnight. Paul's boring. He's sleepy. Natural. Accidental. Son, he was down and out, just wanting to eat whatever the pigs had. Eutychus, he was out and then down, I guess. <laughs> the first son, he was gone and dead. Eutychus, dead and gone. They picked him up dead. The father falls upon him and kisses the son. Paul falls upon him and embraces the boy. The son comes home and he's alive again. The son is alive and he goes home again. What a beautiful parallel in these stories. But they're not alone. There's another story involving Jesus that wasn't a parable. It's a living parable, I guess, an illustration of what he came to do in this world. It's the story of him raising the widow's son. One day, Jesus was going to a town called Nain. Disciples, a large crowd, all there with him. He approached the town gate, and a dead person was being carried out. And I guess word got to Jesus, or maybe he even knew the family, but he was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, all alone. A large crowd from the town was with her. And the Lord saw her. His heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. 
I don't know if Jesus has read all the best self-help books and the books on counseling, but I don't think you're supposed to tell people not to cry when they're crying. But he tells her that. And maybe it's because he knows things are about to change and there won't be reason to cry for much longer. He goes up and he touches the bier where they were carrying him on, this, this pallet they had him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and he began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. It's not just that God so loves the world. It's that God has come to help his people. He's here to do, not just to be, not just to love passively, but to engage, to restore, and to reunite. Think about these stories, though. They're all a little bit different. Again, first son, it's about choices. Eutychus, it's accidents. The widow's son, it's a tragedy. That lost son, he chose to live as if his father were dead. Chose to live like many as if there is no God that has any rules for any of us. But his father wouldn't let him believe that he didn't have a place at home. His father would do anything to make sure that he felt home again. Eutychus just had an accident, had terrible consequences. Lots of people fall asleep and they don't die from it. He did. But Paul brought resurrection power to that place and scene of loss and death. Widow's son, it was a tragic death. She's all alone. But Jesus gave her comfort and gave her her boy back. He came to help his people. Ultimately, the power of love gives us the strength of compassion to be able to say, I'm going to welcome you and God, I'm going to show you unexpected love and grace. You're not going to expect this. You're not going to think it's even possible how much I'm going to love you and how gracious I'm going to be toward you and how much mercy I'm going to show you. You won't see it coming. You'll prepare yourself to expect to be disappointed. But you're going to be amazed at how much I love you. That's the power of love. In restoration, I'm going to give whatever I can give, and I'm going to do whatever I can do to bring life to this situation. There's enough hardship to go around. People don't need more hardship. They don't need more annoyance. They don't need more difficulty from us. They need love. Love that brings life to situations. Love that restores and love that reunites, that puts things back where they belong. It gives us the strength to lead people home again, to bring them back to the people who love them the most, to make them know that whatever it costs us, it's worth it because that's what love does. And if you think about what happened in each of these stories, maybe it's harder for us to appreciate. But in the Jewish culture, for someone like the father to embrace the son probably wouldn't have been done normally. Probably would have been disowned. Also, wouldn't have been touched because he'd been hanging out with pigs. He was ceremonially unclean. You shouldn't touch someone like that if you follow the law ritualistically. Or think about Eutychus. He was a dead man. You're not supposed to touch a dead body. Paul didn't care. He fell upon him. And you think about Jesus walking through this town. Obviously, it's a funeral procession. You're not supposed to touch things like that. And even the bearers would go through a ritual afterwards. But Jesus, again, showing what he's here to do altogether, not just in this one scene, he comes here to touch our death, to touch our sin, to embrace us fully, and to take upon himself everything that would cost him his life. But he did it anyway because he loves us. That's the power of love to take on whatever must be taken on because the person we love 
is worth more than anything we have to go through in order to get them back where they need to be. And you think about that first passage we read it's from Ephesians. Later in that same letter, Paul offers a prayer to the people he loves there in Ephesus. He had worked with them for over three years, dear friends of his. And he says, my prayer for you is that somehow you would have power together with all the saints to grasp how long and deep and wide and high is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's his prayer. He says, I love you so much. The best thing I could possibly pray for you is for you to spend your whole life trying to figure out this love that surpasses knowledge. It's the best thing you can do with your life is to figure out what love really is, how deep it is, how wide it is, how long it lasts, how great it is to be fully loved. That's what life is worth living for. And I hope you enjoy your day and that you live a long life learning about love.